Question 4 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde, Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Faith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde, Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Faith. By St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 4. Of the Virtue Itself of Faith, in Eight Articles. We must now consider the virtue of faith, and in the first place, faith itself. Secondly, those who have faith. Thirdly, the cause of faith. Fourthly, its effects. Under the first head, there are eight points of inquiry. First, what is faith? Second, in what power of the soul does it reside? Third, whether its form is charity? Fourth, whether living, formata, faith, and lifeless, informis, faith, are one identically? Fifth, whether faith is a virtue. Sixth, whether it is one virtue. Seventh, of its relation to the other virtues. Eighth, of its certitude as compared with the certitude of the intellectual virtues. First article. Whether this is a fitting definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things to be hoped for the evidence of things that appear not. Objection 1. It would seem that the Apostle gives an unfitting definition of faith when he says, Faith is the substance of things to be hoped for, the evidence of things that appear not. Hebrews 11.1. 1. For no quality is a substance, whereas faith is a quality, since it is a theological virtue as stated above in Pars Prima Secundae, Question 62, Article 3. Therefore, it is not a substance. Objection 2. Further, different virtues have different objects. Now things to be hoped for are the object of hope. Therefore, they should not be included in a definition of faith, as though they were its object. Objection 3. Further, Faith is perfected by charity rather than by hope, since charity is the form of faith, as we shall state further on in Article 3. Therefore, the definition of faith should have included the thing to be loved rather than the thing to be hoped for. Objection 4. Further, the same thing should not be placed in different genera. Now substance and evidence are different genera, and neither is subalternate to the other. Therefore, it is unfitting to state that faith is both substance and evidence. Objection 5. Further, evidence manifests the truth of the matter for which it is adduced. Now a thing is said to be apparent when its truth is already manifest. 
therefore it seems to imply a contradiction if we speak of evidence of things that appear not and so faith is unfittingly defined on the contrary the authority of the apostle suffices i answer that though some say that the above words of the apostle are not a definition of faith yet if we consider the matter aright this definition overlooks none of the points in reference to which faith can be defined albeit the words themselves are not arranged in the form of a definition just as the philosophers touch on the principles of the syllogism without employing the syllogistic form in order to make this clear we must observe that since habits are known by their acts and acts by their objects faith being a habit should be defined by its proper act in relation to its proper object now the act of faith is to believe as stated above in question two articles two and three which is an act of the intellect determinate to one object of the will's command hence an act of faith is related both to the object of the will that is to the good and the end and to the object of the intellect that is to the truth and since faith through being a theological virtue as stated above in pars prima secundae question sixty two article two has one same thing for object and end its object and end must of necessity be in proportion to one another now it has already been stated in question one articles one and four that the object of faith is the first truth as unseen and whatever we hold on account thereof so that it must needs be under the aspect of something unseen that the first truth is the end of the act of faith which aspect is that of a thing hoped for according to the apostle in romans eight twenty five we hope for that which we see not because to see the truth is to possess it now one hopes not for what one has already but for what one has not as stated above in pars prima secundae question sixty seven article four accordingly the relation of the act of faith to its end which is the object of the will is indicated by the words faith is the substance of things to be hoped for for we are wont to call by the name of substance the first beginning of a thing especially when the whole subsequent thing is virtually contained in the first beginning for instance we might say that the first self-evident principles are the substance of science because to wit these principles are in us the first beginnings of science the whole of which is itself contained in them virtually in this way then faith is said to be the substance of things to be hoped for for the reason that in us the first beginning of things to be hoped for is brought about by the ascent of faith which contains virtually all things to be hoped for because we hope to be made happy through seeing the unveiled truth to which our faith cleaves as was made evident when we were speaking of happiness in pars prima secundae question three article eight 
as well as pars prima secundae, question 4, article 3. The relationship of the act of faith to the object of the intellect, considered as the object of faith, is indicated by the words, evidence of things that appear not, where evidence is taken for the result of evidence, for evidence induces the intellect to adhere to a truth, wherefore the firm adhesion of the intellect to the non-apparent truth of faith is called evidence here. Hence another reading has conviction, because to wit, the intellect of the believer is convinced by divine authority, so as to assent to what it sees not. Accordingly, if any one would reduce the foregoing words to the form of a definition, he may say that faith is a habit of the mind whereby eternal life is begun in us, making the intellect assent to what is non-apparent. In this way, faith is distinguished from all other things pertaining to the intellect. For when we describe it as evidence, we distinguish it from opinion, suspicion, and doubt, which do not make the intellect adhere to anything firmly. When we go on to say, of things that appear not, we distinguish it from science and understanding, the object of which is something apparent, and when we say that it is the substance of things to be hoped for, we distinguish the virtue of faith from faith commonly so called, which has no reference to the beatitude we hope for. Whatever other definitions are given of faith are explanations of this one given by the Apostle. For when Augustine says in his commentary on the Gospel of John 40, as well as his questions on the Gospel 2, question 39, that faith is a virtue whereby we believe what we do not see. And when Damascene says in On the True Faith 4.11 that faith is an assent without research, and when others say that faith is that certainty of the mind about absent things which surpasses opinion but falls short of science. These all amount to the same as the Apostle's words, evidence of things that appear not. And when Dionysius says in On the Divine Name 7 that faith is the solid foundation of the believer, establishing him in the truth, and showing forth the truth in him, comes to the same as substance of things to be hoped for. Reply to Objection 1. Substance, here, does not stand for the supreme genus condivided with the other genera, but for that likeness to substance which is found in each genus, inasmuch as the first thing in a genus contains the others virtually, and is said to be the substance thereof. Reply to Objection 2. Since faith pertains to the intellect, as commanded by the will, it must needs be directed, as to its end, to the objects of those virtues which perfect the will, among which is hope, as we shall prove further on, in question 18, article 1. For this reason the definition of faith includes the object of hope. 
Reply to Objection 3. Love may be of the seen and of the unseen, of the present and of the absent. Consequently, a thing to be loved is not so adapted to faith as a thing to be hoped for, since hope is always of the absent and the unseen. Reply to Objection 4. Substance and evidence, as included in the definition of faith, do not denote various genera of faith nor different acts, but different relationships of one act to different objects, as is clear from what has been said. Reply to Objection 5. Evidence taken from the proper principles of the thing makes it apparent, whereas evidence taken from divine authority does not make a thing apparent in itself, and such is the evidence referred to in the definition of faith. Second article, whether faith resides in the intellect. Objection 1. It would seem that faith does not reside in the intellect. For Augustine says in On the Predestination of the Saints 5 that faith resides in the believer's will. Now the will is a power distinct from the intellect. Therefore, faith does not reside in the intellect. Objection to. Further, the assent of faith to believe anything proceeds from the will obeying God. Therefore, it seems that faith owes all its praise to obedience. Now obedience is in the will. Therefore, faith is in the will and not in the intellect. Objection 3. Further, the intellect is either speculative or practical. Now faith is not in the speculative intellect, since this is not concerned with things to be sought or avoided, as stated in On the Soul 3.9, so that it is not a principle of operation, whereas faith worketh by charity, according to Galatians 5.6. Likewise, neither is it in the practical intellect, the object of which is some true contingent thing that can be made or done. For the object of faith is the eternal truth, as was shown above in Question 1, Article 1. Therefore, faith does not reside in the intellect. On the contrary, faith is succeeded by the heavenly vision, according to 1 Corinthians 13.12. We see now through a glass in a dark manner, but then face to face. Now vision is in the intellect, therefore faith is likewise. I answer that, since faith is a virtue, its act must needs be perfect. Now, for the perfection of an act proceeding from two active principles, each of these principles must be perfect. For it is not possible for a thing to be sawn well unless the saw possess the art and the saw be well fitted for sawing. Now, in a power of the soul, which is related to opposite objects, a disposition to act well is a habit, as stated above. Pars Prima Secundae, Question 49, Article 4, replies 
1, 2, and 3. Wherefore, an act that proceeds from two such powers must be perfected by a habit residing in each of them. Again, it has been stated above, in question 2, articles 1 and 2, that to believe is an act of the intellect inasmuch as the will moves it to assent. And this act proceeds from the will and the intellect, both of which have a natural aptitude to be perfected in this way. Consequently, if the act of faith is to be perfect, there needs to be a habit in the will as well as in the intellect, even as there needs to be the habit of prudence in the reason, besides the habit of temperance in the concupiscible faculty, in order that the act of that faculty be perfect. Now, to believe is immediately an act of the intellect, because the object of that act is the true, which pertains properly to the intellect. Consequently, faith, which is the proper principle of that act, must needs reside in the intellect. Reply to Objection 1. Augustine takes faith for the act of faith, which is described as depending on the believer's will, insofar as his intellect assents to matters of faith at the command of the will. Reply to Objection 2. Not only does the will need to be ready to obey, but also the intellect needs to be well disposed to follow the command of the will, even as the concupiscible faculty needs to be well disposed in order to follow the command of reason. Hence there needs to be a habit of virtue not only in the commanding will, but also in the assenting intellect. Reply to Objection 3. Faith resides in the speculative intellect as evidenced by its object. But since this object, which is the first truth, is the end of all our desires and actions, as Augustine proves in On the Trinity 1.8, it follows that faith worketh by charity just as the speculative intellect becomes practical by extension in On the Soul 3.10. Third article, whether charity is the form of faith. Objection 1. It would seem that charity is not the form of faith. For each thing derives its species from its form. When, therefore, two things are opposite members of a division, one cannot be the form of the other. Now faith and charity are stated to be opposite members of a division, as different species of virtue, according to 1 Corinthians 13.13. Therefore, charity is not the form of faith. Objection 2. Further, a form and the thing of which it is the form are in one subject, since together they form one simply. Now faith is in the intellect, while charity is in the will. Therefore, charity is not the form of faith. Objection 3. Further, the form of a thing is a principle thereof. 
Now obedience, rather than charity, seems to be the principle of believing on the part of the will according to Romans 1.5, for obedience to the faith in all nations. Therefore, obedience rather than charity is the form of faith. On the contrary, each thing works through its form. Now faith works through charity. Therefore, the love of charity is the form of faith. I answer that, as appears from what has been said above in Pars Prima Secundae, question 1, article 3, and Pars Prima Secundae, question 18, article 6, voluntary acts take their species from the end which is the will's object. Now that which gives a thing its species is after the manner of a form in natural things. Wherefore the form of any voluntary act is, in a manner, the end to which that act is directed, both because it takes its species therefrom, and because the mode of an action should correspond proportionately to the end. Now it is evident from what has been said in Article 1 that the act of faith is directed to the object of the will, that is, the good, as to its end. And this good, which is the end of faith, notably the divine good, is the proper act of charity. Therefore charity is called the form of faith, in so far as the act of faith is perfected and formed by charity. Reply to Objection 1. Charity is called the form of faith because it quickens the act of faith. Now nothing hinders one act from being quickened by different habits, so as to be reduced to various species in a certain order, as stated above, in Pars Prima Secundae, question 18, article 6 and 7, Pars Prima Secundae, question 61, article 2, when we were treating of human acts in general. Reply to Objection 2. This objection is true of an intrinsic form. But it is not thus that charity is the form of faith, but in the sense that it quickens the act of faith, as explained above. Reply to Objection 3. Even obedience, and hope likewise, and whatever other virtue might precede the act of faith, is quickened by charity, as we shall show further on in question 23, article 8, and consequently, charity is spoken of as the form of faith. Fourth article, whether lifeless faith can become living, or living faith, lifeless. Objection 1. It would seem that lifeless faith does not become living, or living faith, lifeless. For according to 1 Corinthians 13.10, When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. Now, lifeless faith is imperfect in comparison with living faith. Therefore, when living faith comes, lifeless faith is done away, so that they are not one identical habit. Objection 2. Further, a dead thing does not become a living thing. 
now lifeless faith is dead according to james two twenty faith without works is dead therefore lifeless faith cannot become living objection three further god's grace by its advent has no less effect in a believer than in an unbeliever now by coming to an unbeliever it causes the habit of faith therefore when it comes to a believer who hitherto had the habit of lifeless faith it causes another habit of faith in him objection for further as boethius says in on aristotle's categories one accidents cannot be altered now faith is an accident therefore the same faith cannot be at one time living and at another lifeless on the contrary a gloss on the words faith without works is dead james two twenty adds by which it lives once more therefore faith which was lifeless and without form hitherto becomes formed and living i answer that there have been various opinions on this question for some translators note william of Auxerre, compendium on the four books of sentences three three fifteen have said that living and lifeless faith are distinct habits but that when living faith comes lifeless faith is done away and that in like manner when a man sins mortally after having living faith a new habit of lifeless faith is infused into him by god but it seems unfitting that grace should deprive man of a gift of god by coming to him and that a gift of god should be infused into man on account of a mortal sin consequently others translators note alexander of hales theological summary 364 have said that living and lifeless faith are indeed distinct habits but that all the same when living faith comes the habit of lifeless faith is not taken away and that it remains together with the habit of living faith in the same subject yet again it seems unreasonable that the habit of lifeless faith should remain inactive in a person having living faith we must therefore hold differently that living and lifeless faith are one and the same habit the reason is that a habit is differentiated by that which directly pertains to that habit now since faith is a perfection of the intellect that pertains directly to faith which pertains to the intellect again what pertains to the will does not pertain directly to faith so as to be able to differentiate the habit of faith but the distinction of living from lifeless faith is in respect of something pertaining to the will that is charity and not in respect of something pertaining to the intellect therefore living and lifeless faith are not distinct habits reply to objection one the saying of the apostle refers to those imperfect things from which 
imperfection is inseparable, for then, when the perfect comes, the imperfect must needs be done away. Thus with the advent of clear vision, faith is done away because it is essentially of the things that appear not. When, however, imperfection is not inseparable from the imperfect thing, the same identical thing which was imperfect becomes perfect. Thus, childhood is not essential to man, and consequently, the same identical subject who was a child becomes a man. Now, lifelessness is not essential to faith, but is accidental thereto as stated above. Therefore, lifeless faith itself becomes living. Reply to Objection 2. That which makes an animal live is inseparable from an animal, because it is its substantial form, notably the soul. Consequently, a dead thing cannot become a living thing, and a living and a dead thing differ specifically. On the other hand, that which gives faith its form, or makes it live, is not essential to faith. Hence, there is no comparison. Reply to Objection 3. Grace causes faith not only when faith begins anew to be in a man, but also as long as faith lasts. For it has been said above, in Pars Prima, question 104, article 1, Pars Prima Secundae, question 109, article 9, that God is always working man's justification, even as the sun is always lighting up the air. Hence grace is not less effective when it comes to a believer than when it comes to an unbeliever, since it causes faith in both, in the former by confirming and perfecting it, in the latter by creating it anew. We might also reply that it is accidental, namely, on account of the disposition of the subject, that grace does not cause faith in one who has it already, just as, on the other hand, a second mortal sin does not take away grace from one who has already lost it through a previous mortal sin. Reply to Objection 4. When living faith becomes lifeless, faith is not changed, but its subject, the soul which at one time has faith without charity, and at another time with charity. Fifth Article. Whether Faith is a Virtue. Objection 1. It would seem that faith is not a virtue. For virtue is directed to the good, since it is virtue that makes its subject good as the philosopher states in Ethics 2.6. But faith is directed to the true. Therefore, faith is not a virtue. Objection 2. Further, infused virtue is more perfect than acquired virtue. Now faith, on account of its imperfection, is not placed among the acquired intellectual virtues, as the philosopher states, Ethics 6.3. Much less, therefore, can it be considered an infused virtue. 
Objection 3. Further, living and lifeless faith are the same species as stated above in Article 4. Now lifeless faith is not a virtue, since it is not connected with the other virtues. Therefore, neither is living faith a virtue. Objection 4. Further, the gratuitous graces and the fruits are distinct from the virtues. But faith is numbered among the gratuitous graces in 1 Corinthians 12.9 and likewise among the fruits in Galatians 5.23. Therefore, faith is not a virtue. On the contrary, man is justified by the virtues since justice is all virtue as the philosopher states in ethics 5 1 now man is justified by faith according to romans 5 1 being justified therefore by faith let us have peace etc therefore faith is a virtue i answer that as shown above it is by human virtue that human acts are rendered good. Hence, any habit that is always the principle of a good act may be called a human virtue. Such a habit is living faith. For since to believe is an act of the intellect assenting to the truth at the command of the will, two things are required that this act may be perfect one of which is that the intellect should infallibly tend to its object, which is the true, while the other is that the will should be infallibly directed to the last end, on account of which it assents to the true, and both of these are to be found in the act of living faith. For it belongs to the very essence of faith that the intellect should ever tend to the true, since nothing false can be the object of faith, as proved above. Question 1, Article 3. While the effect of charity, which is the form of faith, is that the soul ever has its will directed to a good end. Therefore, living faith is a virtue. On the other hand, lifeless faith is not a virtue, because, though the act of lifeless faith is duly perfect on the part of the intellect, it has not its due perfection as regards the will, just as if temperance be in the concupiscible, without prudence being in the rational part, temperance is not a virtue as stated above. Pars prima secunde, question 65, article 1. Because the act of temperance requires both an act of reason and an act of the concupiscible faculty, even as the act of faith requires an act of the will and an act of the intellect. Reply to Objection 1. The truth is itself the good of the intellect, since it is its perfection, and consequently faith has a relation to some good insofar as it directs the intellect to the true. Furthermore, it has a relation to the good considered as the object of the will, inasmuch as it is formed by charity. Reply to Objection 2 The faith of which the philosopher speaks 
is based on human reasoning in a conclusion which does not follow of necessity from its premises and which is subject to be false hence such like faith is not a virtue on the other hand the faith of which we are speaking is based on the divine truth which is infallible and consequently its object cannot be anything false so that faith of this kind can be a virtue reply to objection three living and lifeless faith do not differ specifically as though they belonged to different species but they differ as perfect and imperfect within the same species hence lifeless faith being imperfect does not satisfy the conditions of perfect virtue for virtue is a kind of perfection according to physics seven eighteen reply to objection four some say that faith which is numbered among the gratuitous graces is lifeless faith but this is said without reason since the gratuitous graces which are mentioned in that passage are not common to all the members of the church wherefore the apostle says there are diversities of graces and again to one is given this grace and to another that now lifeless faith is common to all the members of the church because its lifelessness is not part of its substance if we consider it as a gratuitous gift we must therefore say that in that passage faith denotes a certain excellency of faith for instance constancy in faith according to a gloss or the word of faith faith is numbered among the fruits in so far as it gives a certain pleasure in its act by reason of its certainty wherefore the gloss on the fifth chapter to the galatians where the fruits are enumerated explains faith as being certainty about the unseen sixth article whether faith is one virtue objection one it would seem that faith is not one for just as faith is a gift of god according to ephesians 2 8 so also wisdom and knowledge are numbered among god's gifts according to isaiah 11 2. now wisdom and knowledge differ in this that wisdom is about eternal things and knowledge about temporal things as augustine states in on the trinity 12 14 and 15 since then faith is about eternal things and also about some temporal things it seems that faith is not one virtue but divided into several parts objection to further confession is an act of faith as stated above question three article one now confession of faith is not one and the same for all since what we confess as past the fathers of old confessed as yet to come as appears from isaiah seven fourteen, behold a virgin shall conceive therefore faith is not one objection three further faith is common to all believers in christ 
but one accident cannot be in many subjects. Therefore, all cannot have one faith. On the contrary, the Apostle says in Ephesians 4, 5, One Lord, one faith. I answer that, if we take faith as a habit, we can consider it in two ways. First, on the part of the object, and thus there is one faith, because the formal object of faith is the first truth, by adhering to which we believe whatever is contained in the faith. Secondly, on the part of the subject, and thus faith is differentiated according as it is in various subjects. Now it is evident that faith, just as any other habit, takes its species from the formal aspect of its object, but is individualized by its subject. Hence, if we take faith for the habit whereby we believe, it is one specifically, but differs numerically according to its various subjects. If, on the other hand, we take faith for that which is believed, then again there is one faith, since what is believed by all is one same thing. For though the things believed, which all agree in believing, be diverse from one another, yet they are all reduced to one. Reply to Objection 1. Temporal matters, which are proposed to be believed, do not belong to the object of faith except in relation to something eternal, notably the first truth, as stated above in Question 1, Article 1. Hence there is one faith of things both temporal and eternal. It is different with wisdom and knowledge, which consider temporal and eternal matters under their respective aspects. Reply to Objection 2. This difference of past and future arises not from any difference in the thing believed, but from the different relationships of believers to the one thing believed, as also we have mentioned above in Pars Prima Secundae, question 103, article 4, as well as Pars Prima Secundae, question 107, article 1, first reply. Reply to Objection 3. This objection considers numerical diversity of faith. Seventh article, whether faith is the first of the virtues. Objection 1. It would seem that faith is not the first of the virtues. For a gloss on Luke 12, 4, I say to you, my friends, says that fortitude is the foundation of faith. Now the foundation precedes that which is founded thereon. Therefore, faith is not the first of the virtues. Objection to. Further, a gloss on Psalm 36, Be not emulous, says that hope leads on to faith. Now hope is a virtue, as we shall state further on in question 17, article 1. Therefore faith is not the first of the virtues. Objection 3. Further, it was stated above in Article 2 that the intellect of the believer is moved out of obedience to God to assent to matters of faith. Now, obedience also is a virtue. Therefore, 
faith is not the first virtue. Objection 4. Further, not lifeless but living faith is the foundation, as a gloss remarks on 1 Corinthians 3.11. Translator's note, referring to Augustine, on faith and its operation, 16. Now faith is formed by charity, as stated above in Article 3. Therefore it is owing to charity that faith is the foundation, so that charity is the foundation yet more than faith is. For the foundation is the first part of a building, and consequently it seems to precede faith. Objection 5. Further, the order of habits is taken from the order of acts. Now in the act of faith, the act of the will, which is perfected by charity, precedes the act of the intellect, which is perfected by faith, as the cause which precedes its effect. Therefore, charity precedes faith. Therefore, faith is not the first of the virtues. On the contrary, the Apostle says in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the substance of things to be hoped for. Now, the substance of a thing is that which comes first. Therefore, faith is first among the virtues. I answer that one thing can precede another in two ways. First, by its very nature. Secondly, by accident. Faith, by its very nature, precedes all other virtues. For since the end is the principle in matters of action, as stated above, in Pars Prima Secundae, question 13, article 3, Pars Prima Secundae, question 34, article 4, first reply, the theological virtues, the object of which is the last end, must needs precede all the others. Again, the last end must of necessity be present to the intellect before it is present to the will, since the will has no inclination for anything except in so far as it is apprehended by the intellect. Hence, as the last end is present in the will by hope and charity, and in the intellect by faith, the first of all the virtues must, of necessity, be faith, because natural knowledge cannot reach God as the object of heavenly bliss, which is the aspect under which hope and charity tend towards him. On the other hand, some virtues can precede faith accidentally. For an accidental cause precedes its effect accidentally. Now that which removes an obstacle is a kind of accidental cause, according to the philosopher in Physics 8.4. And in this sense, certain virtues may be said to precede faith accidentally, insofar as they remove obstacles to belief. Thus fortitude removes the inordinate fear that hinders faith. Humility removes pride, whereby a man refuses to submit himself to the truth of faith. The same may be said of some other virtues, although there are no real virtues unless faith be presupposed, as Augustine states in Against Julius 4.3.
This suffices for the reply to the first objection. Reply to objection 2. Hope cannot lead to faith absolutely. For one cannot hope to obtain eternal happiness unless one believes this possible, since hope does not tend to the impossible, as stated above, in Pars Prima Secundae, question 40, article 1. It is, however, possible for one to be led by hope to persevere in faith or to hold firmly to faith, and it is in this sense that hope is said to lead to faith. Reply to Objection 3. Obedience is twofold, for sometimes it denotes the inclination of the will to fulfill God's commandments. In this way, it is not a special virtue, but is a general condition of every virtue, since all acts of virtue come under the precepts of the divine law as stated above in Pars Prima Secundae, question 100, article 2. And thus, it is requisite for faith. In another way, obedience denotes an inclination to fulfill the commandments considered as a duty. In this way, it is a special virtue and a part of justice, for a man does his duty by his superior when he obeys him, and thus obedience follows faith, whereby man knows that God is his superior, whom he must obey. Reply to Objection 4. To be a foundation, a thing requires not only to come first, but also to be connected with the other parts of the building, since the building would not be founded on it unless the other parts adhered to it. Now the connecting bond of the spiritual edifice is charity, according to Colossians 3.14. Above all things have charity, which is the bond of perfection. Consequently, faith without charity cannot be the foundation, and yet it does not follow that charity precedes faith. Reply to Objection 5. Some act of the will is required before faith, but not an act of the will quickened by charity. This latter act presupposes faith, because the will cannot tend to God with perfect love unless the intellect possesses right faith about him. Eighth Article. Whether faith is more certain than science, and the other intellectual virtues. Objection 1. It would seem that faith is not more certain than science and the other intellectual virtues. For doubt is opposed to certitude, wherefore a thing would seem to be the more certain, through being less doubtful, just as a thing is the whiter, the less it has of an admixture of black, now understanding, science, and also wisdom, are free of any doubt about their objects, whereas the believer may sometimes suffer a movement of doubt, and doubt about matters of faith. Therefore, faith is no more certain than the intellectual virtues. Objection 2. Further, sight is more certain than hearing, but Faith is through hearing, according to Romans 10.17, whereas understanding, science, and wisdom 
imply some kind of intellectual sight. Therefore, science and understanding are more certain than faith. Objection 3. Further, in matters concerning the intellect, the more perfect is the more certain. Now understanding is more perfect than faith, since faith is the way to understanding, according to another version of Isaiah 7.9. Translator's note, referring to the Septuagint. If you will not believe, you shall not understand. And Augustine says in On the Trinity 14.1 that Faith is strengthened by science. Therefore, it seems that science or understanding is more certain than faith. On the contrary, the Apostle says in 1 Thessalonians 2.15, When you had received of us the word of the hearing, that is, by faith, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is indeed the word of God. Now nothing is more certain than the word of God. Therefore, science is not more certain than faith, nor is anything else. I answer that, as stated above in Pars Prima Secundae, question 57, article 4, second reply, two of the intellectual virtues are about contingent matter, notably prudence and art to which faith is preferable in point of certitude by reason of its matter since it is about eternal things which never change whereas the other three intellectual virtues notably wisdom science and understanding are about necessary things as stated above pars prima secundae question 57 article 5 third reply but it must be observed that wisdom science and understanding may be taken in two ways first as intellectual virtues according to the philosopher in ethics six two and three secondly for the gifts of the holy ghost if we consider them in the first way we must note that certitude can be looked at in two ways first on the part of its cause and thus a thing which has more certain cause is itself more certain in this way faith is more certain than those three virtues because it is founded on the divine truth, whereas the aforesaid three virtues are based on human reason. Secondly, certitude may be considered on the part of the subject, and thus the more a man's intellect lays hold of a thing, the more certain it is. In this way, faith is less certain, because matters of faith are above the human intellect, whereas the objects of the aforesaid three virtues are not. Since, however, a thing is judged simply with regard to its cause, but relatively with respect to a disposition on the part of the subject, it follows that faith is more certain simply, while the others are more certain relatively, that is, for us. Likewise, if these three be taken as gifts received in this present life, they are related to faith as to their principle which they presuppose so that again, in this way, faith is more certain. Reply to Objection 1. This doubt is not on the side of the cause of faith, but on our side, 
insofar as we do not fully grasp matters of faith with our intellect. Reply to Objection 2. Other things being equal, sight is more certain than hearing. But if the authority of the person from whom we hear greatly surpasses that of the seer's sight, hearing is more certain than sight. Thus a man of little science is more certain about what he hears on the authority of an expert in science than about what is apparent to him according to his own reason. And much more is a man certain about what he hears from God, who cannot be deceived, than about what he sees with his own reason, which can be mistaken. Reply to Objection 3. The gifts of understanding and knowledge are more perfect than the knowledge of faith in the point of their greater clearness, but not in regard to more certain adhesion, because the whole certitude of the gifts of understanding and knowledge arises from the certitude of faith, even as the certitude of the knowledge of conclusions arises from the certitude of premises. But in so far as science, wisdom, and understanding are intellectual virtues, they are based upon the natural light of reason, which falls short of the certitude of God's word on which faith is founded. End of question four. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.